Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Can you hear me back there? Okay. All right, just making sure. Is that okay? Just yell into the mic. I'll do that. <laughs> um, so uh, thank you, Mark, for that uh, introduction and for your invitation to uh, present here. And uh, welcome, uh, everyone. Thanks for taking time uh, to attend this event. Um, so I uh, was asked to speak on India and Pakistan relations. Uh, in itself, uh, a very broad and complex topic. Uh, and so one has to make uh, certain deliberate choices in terms of what to focus on. Um, of course, the, the Kashmir dispute is uh, central to uh, India-Pakistan relations. Uh, the Great Decisions book, uh, actually, the chapter on India-Pakistan has an entire section on uh, Kashmir. Um, and uh, one of the things uh, that is mentioned uh, in that section uh, one of the things that is raised in this section is whether India and Pakistan, whether the Kashmir issue is actually just uh, uh, something that India and Pakistan can resolve uh, bilaterally by themselves, or does the international community have uh, a role to play in terms of settlement for, of that dispute? Okay. Um, at the end of the chapter, out of the six questions, five questions are regarding the role of the international community. Um, in terms of, uh, if there is one, uh, in terms of trying to settle this matter. So I thought, why not uh, focus on, on something like this? So you know, I'm essentially um, talking about whether the international community has any kind of role to play in uh, this uh, particular dispute in terms of helping the two countries settle. Okay? Um, in the process, I'll talk to you a little bit about the Kashmir dispute. And of course, if you have questions uh, about the past or what's happened in the past or more recent events, uh, please feel free to, to ask me. Um, this is just, a, uh, I guess, a, a small part of uh, the, the Kashmir uh, dispute between India and Pakistan. So um, I'm arranging my presentation sort of in, in this format. Uh, start with uh, just giving you some background in terms of the Kashmir dispute, and then move on to uh, talking about third-party mediation, a historical overview of that, um, what the international community has uh, uh, has done in terms of trying to get India and Pakistan to resolve the issue. And then, of course, uh, third-party mediation um, usually works when both actors are willing uh, to sort of go down that path. But India has uh, objected uh, very strenuously. Um, and for a long time now, actually, decades now, uh, in terms of objected strenuously uh, against uh, third-party mediation. So uh, why that is the case is something I wanted to share with you. And finally, sort of what would be the, I guess, appropriate uh, uh, manner in which the international community can help uh, the, the two countries uh, settle the dispute. Okay. I have a map of Kashmir here. Um, this uh, map, of course, is, uh, is now a little bit changed, but this, uh, the, what you see in terms of those, uh, those red boundaries, that was the original 
um, kingdom of uh, Jammu and Kashmir, and that's where my story essentially starts. Uh, the uh, kingdom of Jammu and Kashmir uh, was a semi-independent uh, kingdom. It was not part of British India. Um, you had actually 560 plus uh, semi-independent kingdoms, out of which uh, Kashmir was Jammu and Kashmir was actually uh, one of the largest. Okay. Um, at the time of uh, independence, uh, 1947, the British uh, gave uh, um, these 560-plus uh, uh, kingdoms a choice uh, whether they wanted to uh, join uh, Pakistan, uh, which was going to be a new country in 1947, or they uh, wanted to be part of India, or they wanted to be independent. Uh, the choice was given to the, the rulers, uh, usually princes or maharajas. So the same choice was given to uh, the, the Maharaja of Jammu and Kashmir, that individual, that you, the picture that you see there, uh, Maharaja Hari Singh. Um, now, for most of those kingdoms, it was a relatively easy decision. Um, a lot of those kingdoms were located smack in the center of India or Pakistan, and demographically, it was, you know, again, there was not much difference. So the, most of the kingdoms, um, none of the kingdoms really retained their independence. Most were absorbed, or all of them actually were absorbed, uh, with either India or, or Pakistan. Now, Maharaja Hari Singh, his situation was kind of unique because um, uh, Jammu and Kashmir was a majority uh, Muslim uh, kingdom, but uh, the Maharaja himself was a Hindu. Right. Now, when it came for him to decide what to do, he preferred to remain independent. He did not want to join either India or, or Pakistan. Okay. Um, 1947, August 1947 is when India and Pakistan gained their independence. In the spring of 1947, an uprising uh, begins in the far western uh, side of his kingdom. Um, that uh, essentially borders uh, the province of Punjab, uh, which is which was going to become Pakistan, right? It also borders the the uh, the northwest frontier province, which today is uh, Khyber Pakhtunkhwa. Um, there's an uprising. Uh, the uprising primarily because of uh, uh, anger, resentment against the Maharaja, um, difficult economic times, uh, but uh, very high taxes, and uh, not many prospects for employment for the young. So it's an economic crisis that actually sort of first results in the uprising, but it gets quickly caught up in the evolving situation, the, the communal clashes that erupt across India, Hindus and Muslims essentially at each other's throat. So an economic problem quickly spirals into a political crisis. Those people that essentially um, are uh, you know, raising a banner of revolt against the Maharaja, they want the kingdom to join uh, Pakistan. Right? Um, in the summer, or actually getting into the fall uh, season in 1947, um, the Maharaja's kingdom is invaded by Pashtun tribesmen. Um, as I said, the Northwest Frontier Province is just next door. Um, tens of thousands of tribesmen invade his kingdom. Um, the common, uh, I guess, acceptance of this period of history is that um, 
they're supported by the newly uh, sort of created government in Pakistan. Right? The Maharaja requests India for assistance because his own troops are unable to fend off the, the invasion. Uh, India says, well, the government of India, Prime Minister Nehru says, uh, we can help you, but only if you uh, sign a treaty. It's called the instrument of accession. If you sign a treaty, uh, you become part of India, then we can dispatch troops to sort of protect you from these tribesmen. Right? Uh, and uh, as it says, on 26th October 1947, the Maharaja signs the treaty uh, and India dispatches troops. Um, there's, a, there's a conflict between those tribesmen and Indian uh, sort of soldiers. The advance is stopped and then a few months later, regular Pakistani troops sort of enter into the conflict. So the first war, the first India-Pakistan War, 1948, uh, erupts. Okay. The conclusion of the war, uh, Jammu and Kashmir, the, the king, the, the Maharaja, has signed the treaty, um, but his kingdom is, uh, is divided. And you can see that divide, uh, and that holds true for uh, today as well. Uh, the northern one-third portion of his kingdom um, today is effectively part of Pakistan. Um, the southern two-third that you see uh, is uh, part of India. Right? So you have a divided kingdom. Um, that's not the only war. Um, there are two other wars directly related to Kashmir, uh, 1965 and 1999. I'm not including the 1971 war. Uh, which leads to the creation of Bangladesh. Um, that's not fought on Kashmir. These are three wars that are fought on Kashmir. Right? Um, another prominent event in this story, 1989, uh, July of 1989, uh, an insurgency uh, that some people call freedom struggle, some people call uh, an insurgency or, or a, a terrorist movement, depending on where you stand, erupts uh, in, uh, you can see this part, maybe if I just go back here a little bit, um, sorry, the Kashmir Valley. Uh, so that portion, hopefully, that you can see in, uh, uh, in between, um, sort of in the center of uh, the kingdom. Uh, an insurgency erupts, uh, and it's a very uh, brutal conflict. Uh, in response to the insurgency, uh, India sends uh, tens of thousands of troops uh, into this part of the country. Um, the insurgency is still ongoing, but uh, it's much what you might describe as a low-level insurgency uh, compared to the early 1990s. Okay. Um, nevertheless, uh, anywhere between 50,000 to 100,000 people have been killed in this uh, insurgency. The goal of uh, the uh, rebellion has been essentially to either uh, achieve independence for Kashmir or, again, depending on who's fighting, have Kashmir join uh, with Pakistan. Okay. Of course, India has resisted that. There have been several bilateral initiatives um, to try and find a way forward. Um, some of this, these initiatives predate 1989, some after 1989, but none of them have actually been very successful. The dispute persists. Now, the most significant event in recent times, and perhaps people here would have questions about that, uh, is uh, 
this de-operationalization, -oper essentially, of uh, Article 370. Right? Article 370 was uh, essentially the link between India and uh, this uh, uh, Jammu and Kashmir state. Uh, Article 370, very briefly, uh, grants uh, the state of Jammu and Kashmir certain powers that other states of India do not have. Um, uh, Article 370 was negotiated between Kashmiri leaders and the, the drafters of India's constitution. So it essentially went into force the same time that India's constitution went into force, which is 1950. Um, Article 370 states that ap uh, apart from uh, foreign affairs, defense, and communications, no other uh, powers are delegated to the government of uh, India, to the Union government or the federal government of India. Um, the application of the Indian constitution is severely restricted. Okay, That was the original sort of uh, plan, but of course over time uh, Article 370 has been eroded. Um, today it no longer exists, and, I, and we can come back uh, to this, uh, of course, if, again, if you have something in the question answer session. Um, Article 370, uh, I hope you can read what it says here. What Article 370 did, of course, was to uh, recognize that uh, Kashmir could have, Jammu and Kashmir, the state could have its own flag, it could have its own constitution. Um, and uh, it says here dual citizenship, uh, but actually that's not entirely correct. Uh, there is a, a provision of permanent residence of Kashmir, but there is only one Indian citizenship. I mean, Kashmiri residents do not carry a, a different passport. They are all citizens of India. There's no special notification in, in their passports. Um, so dual citizenship here is uh, actually not correct. There's a lot of misconception about what happens in, in this part of the world. Um, Today, the state of Jammu and Kashmir um, is no longer actually even a state. It's a union territory. Jammu and Kashmir and Ladakh, union territories are very much like uh, territories that you have here in the United States. Um, but most of the union territories do not have uh, self-governance. They are administered by the federal government. Uh, there's some local level um, political powers but it's not in the same category as most states. Most states in India have their own legislature bodies, um, very much like what you have here. It's a federal system, very much like the United States. But Jammu and Kashmir and Ladakh, two union territories today, don't have the same powers. And so there's been a lot of uh, ang uh, anguish about that. A lot of what you may have read in the news about Kashmir pertain to that, the change of status um, revoking uh, revoking is probably not the right word again, voiding or deoperationalizing 370 and changing the status of the state is um, something that has been um, criticized heavily within India as well as outside India. Now, in terms of third party mediation, like we, you know, the, the conflict persists between India and, and Pakistan, it's not been resolved. And so lots of people ask, like, wouldn't it be a better idea to have the international community step in to try and resolve the matter? Um, again, as I said, the, the problem essentially lies because uh, it with India, because it does not want to um, 
participate in any form of like mediation efforts, right? Um, in terms of the history, there has been UN mediation in the past, and perhaps some of you are aware of this or you are not. Um, when Kashmir um, joins India, the government of India under Nehru brings the, the issue to the UN Security Council, right? Um, there's a conflict raging, and what the hope of the government of India is that the UN Security Council will actually call out Pakistan. Um, as far as India is concerned, the situation is very clear. Um, the Maharaja has signed a treaty. It's a legal process. There's, there's nothing wrong with this uh, process. What we uh, have to focus on now is this aggression from Pakistan. Right? In January 1948, the issue is brought to the UN Security Council. The first thing that it does, uh, Resolution 38, as it says here, asks the two sides to maintain status quo, to not change things around, um, to wait for the United Nations to take a more active role. Um, the UN also, almost immediately, um, Resolution 39, establishes what is called a UN Commission for India and Pakistan, so UNCIP, right? Um, one uh, three-member commission, one chosen by India, the other person chosen by Pakistan, and the third by the UN Sec Security uh, Council, right? The more important thing, though, is Resolution 47. Um, this is April 1948, and this is the UN Security Council's roadmap, if you will, to resolve the issue. What the roadmap is, what the resolution is, is that there's three components. The first component, the first step is uh, it asks Pakistan to withdraw its troops and also its local militias completely from the territory. Right? So, um, you know, going back here, um, you can see the division uh, in this map. It's called Pakistan-occupied Kashmir. In some places, it's Pakistan-administered Kashmir, or some other name is used. Um, the, the story is the same in 1948 as it is today. Pakistan occupies half of, oh, sorry, one-third of uh, the, the state. And so the UN Security Council resolution asked Pakistan to essentially withdraw. And then it calls for India to reduce the number of its own troops to a bare minimum, only as much as is necessary to maintain law and order. Okay? Um, so we're talking about a few thousand troops, really. Right? The bulk of the law and order maintenance which should be carried out by local uh, troops, local soldiers. The third step, the third and final component is about holding a plebiscite, a referendum, to allow the Kashmiris to decide. Uh, what they would like. So plebiscite not just in the valley, the Kashmir Valley, but across the entire state. Okay? Um, now, India is bitterly disappointed in terms of the outcome because here's the thing. The government of India was happy to, was not, well, I guess they were not displeased with the idea of a plebiscite, right? a referendum. Nehru's government was uh, confident that they could, that most Kashmiris would choose India ahead of uh, Pakistan, right? So they weren't really that bothered with that. What they were bothered with was the UN's decision to treat India and Pakistan on par. Whereas India expected the UN Security Council to condemn Pakistan's action because it felt that it was 
What Ed was doing was perfectly legal. The Maharaja had signed a treaty. He had requested troops to protect his kingdom, and that's why we are there. There is no valid reason for the Pakistani troops to be there. Right? Um, so that did, does not happen, and there's a lot of disappointment about that. Right? Um, so there's disagreements about Pakistan's standing. Right? There's also disagreement about demilitarization. The first part of uh, Resolution 47 asks Pakistan to completely withdraw troops. But Pakistan is not willing to do that. Right? It argues that what we need to do is essentially a phased with uh, demilitarization. Both of us do it at the same time, as opposed to I go first and then you go first. And again, India is not willing to go down that path. Right? Um, and so that last step, having a plebiscite, itself becomes null and void. If Pakistan is not fulfilling, as far as India is concerned, if Pakistan is not fulfilling its part of the bargain, why should we withdraw our troops? And then why should we have a plebiscite, a referendum? There is no way a referendum could be constituted as fair when you have troops, Pakistani troops, tribesmen sort of in this state. So they are bound to actually influence the electorate. Right. So differences over the demilitarization process, who should withdraw first, who should stay on, disagreements about Pakistan's standing. As far as India is concerned, Pakistan has no standing on this issue. Okay. Um, it's something, it's a matter between India and the Kashmiri people, and that's why it agrees to a referendum, a plebiscite. Right. The other problem, of course, over time is the neutrality of the mediators. We have actually three mediators that were part of the process. Um, the first person on your left uh, is uh, General Andrew McNaughton. He's a Canadian um, sort of soldier, he's a veteran of the Second World War. Um, brief mediation efforts. So Owen Dixon, uh, an Australian jurist, was also appointed by the UN Security Council. Um, so this is April through September of 1950. And then Senator Frank Graham, um, was a US senator. Um, and uh, he led, I guess, the most cons like, uh, strongest effort to find uh, a way um, to have eventually a plebiscite. But it did not work out. Right? Uh, again, the two countries couldn't agree upon demilitarization. And if you don't have demilitarization, you cannot have a, a free and fair vote. Right? So we never really get to that, uh, uh, that stage, that third and final stage. The additional problem, of course, is that um, the United Nations at this time is primarily dominated by Western powers. Um, by the 1950s, uh, the Cold War has already started, and Pakistan has already presented itself as an ally. To the, so, uh, to the United States against the Soviet Union. Right? And so India is no longer convinced that the members of the Security Council can be expected to be impartial anymore. Right? The United States and the United Kingdom, they, again, Cold War politics, um, the neutrality of these mediators is in question, particularly uh, Senator Frank Graham being an American. Okay? So eventually the mediation effort fails. There's another effort in 1962-63, this time by two countries, not the Security Council, the United States and the United Kingdom. Um, there's many frustrating meetings. In the end, the American ambassador to India, Prime Minister, uh, requests the Prime Minister of India to have a referendum 
in the Kashmir Valley only to decide independence and Prime Minister Nehru says nothing of that sort will happen. I'm not going to only have a referendum in this area that we control, right? Uh, if you want the UN uh, resolution to count, first get the Pakistanis to withdraw, right? So for a variety of reasons, India has uh, not had, uh, I guess, a very good experience when it comes to mediation. The first and foremost thing it was hoping was con condemnation of Pakistan. It never really happened. So this was the view. Um, India today claims Kashmir uh, as an internal matter. It argues that the Maharaja signed the agreement as the British asked and expected all of these kingdoms to do. Right? Um, Kashmir has its own constitution. Uh, Kashmiris helped draft the constitution. So they had a constituent assembly, a little bit like, you know, if you think about the, the Philadelphia Convention, where you s sort of draft a constitution. Uh, in that uh, constituent assembly, before it was dissolved, the members uh, ratified, in some sense, Kashmir's accession to India. So as India would say, look, it's not just the Maharaja, but the people that drafted the constitution for Kashmir, the separate constitution, they also said yes. So you have an agreement and you have ratification. Right? And they point out, sorry, and they point out that uh, there have been multiple elections, state assembly elections, and Kashmiris have turned out in numbers to vote for their preferred candidates and political parties. So we may not have had a referendum, but if you take all of these three things in account, to account, it essentially demonstrates that Kashmiris, for the most part, are happy being a part of India. Right? It's not always necessary to have a referendum, and in any case, we cannot, cannot have a referendum, um, and there's a lot of water that has flown down the bridge. Um, demographically, um, the Indian side of Kashmir looks different from what it did in 1948. Mass migration of Hindus, 300 to 400,000 Hindus have left uh, after the insurgency started. And on the Kashmiri side, it's really not, uh, they're not uh, a majority anymore. Uh, Punjabis are, is the, are the plurality. So demographically, Kashmir is very different from what it used to be in 1948. So all the more reason doesn't make any sense. There have been other agreements, disputes uh, should be settled bilaterally. That's always been India's contention. In these agreements that were signed with Pakistan, that was put forward. So that's another reason why India says no to third party mediation. I've told you about the failures of the past. And then the three reasons that have to generally do with mediation. Um, India is suspicious of outside actors. Um, no matter how impartial they may appear to be, every actor has certain self-interest, especially when you're talking about great powers, like the United States or Russia or China. They all have their own interests, right? And that is going to be part of the mix. And again, that makes India very uncomfortable, right? Um, its self-perception as a rising power, as an emerging power, perhaps one day becoming a great power, means that it's hesitant to accept some other countries help. Like, you know, again, great powers do not accept mediation. The United States is unlikely to accept mediation by other countries when it comes to Iran. It wants to deal directly with Iran, okay? Um, weaker countries, smaller countries, 
they don't mind so much. But if you think of yourself as a rising power, you feel like, I can resolve my disputes. Again, if you cannot resolve your disputes, then there's a question regarding your claim as a great power. Right? Um, and then finally, with half the situation stands today, any kind of mediation will involve India conceding more than Pakistan would, because India is the status quo power. Right? In terms of loss of territory, it's probably going to be India, not so much Pakistan. So when you know that the outcome of a settlement would be you making greater concessions than the other side, okay, you can work perhaps to sort of balance the outcome if you're just working one-on-one. -on -one. It's harder to do so when you have like other parties. So that's another reason. I mean, because you feel like you will make greater concessions, you don't want to go down that path. Right? In any case, it's an internal matter. It's our own state, is the government of India's argument. Disputes, if any, we will settle with Pakistan. It's bilateral, right? We don't need, we don't need busybodies, essentially, jumping in, right? Um, plus, the understanding is they don't really um, have much knowledge about local conditions. So this is the reason why India rejects. Um, Third-party mediation has been put forward very recently by the UN's um, Secretary General, who's visiting Pakistan. Uh, when he said that, the Pakistanis were overjoyed. And as far as the Indians were concerned, the immediate rejoinder, um, thank you, thanks, but no thanks. We can do this by ourselves. Okay? Um, and so this is sort of to conclude, I guess, um, you know, uh, I'm on more time for questions that I'm sure you might have um, instead of me talking about one particular topic. Um, there are different kinds of mediators, so I'm bringing sort of a, my political science background here, I'm sort of an academic way of looking at mediation. Arbitrator, um, an arbitrator is unacceptable as far as India is concerned. An arbitrator is one that dictates sort of a settlement and that you're obligated to do so, right? Um, you don't have much choice. That is simply unacceptable to India. Even the other one, uh, a mediator. So the kind, like we said, you know, in the previous slide, Norway, uh, the Norwegians, um, let's say, um, mediating between Israelis and Palestinians. Even that is unacceptable. So someone that facilitates a negotiated settlement in official capacity is unacceptable. What is acceptable, though, is a conciliator sort of status. Um, a neutral third party, again, if there can be a neutral third party, that's another <laughs> question, um, who provides informal communication links. So back-channel diplomacy, quiet diplomacy. The United States can play a role in terms of activating its embassy in, uh, in New Delhi, in Islamabad, in Pakistan. Um, asking the two sides to engage with each other. Um, you know, we call it track two diplomacy sometimes, but back channel diplomacy, I think, is the proper word. To see if we can get talks started. I think that's as far as the international community can do. It can promote bilateral dialogue and can insist that Kashmiris play uh, some kind of role in the dialogue process. Um, but that's all it can do. I mean, again, promotion, encouragement. Um, it can work to prevent an escalation of conflict in, in case tensions rise. 
It can also ask Pakistan to focus on terrorism-related issues and India to focus on human rights abuses uh, in the Kashmir Valley. Um, but that's the extent here. Right? Um, unfortunately, there really isn't much of a role that the international community can play. Right? And given the history, um, there's not much hope in that things will actually turn out better because the UN Security Council experience hasn't, as you, say, as you can see, really helped. Okay? So um, this is what I sort of wanted to get across. And uh, I, as I said, I'm open to questions, any questions you have about this topic or something related to India, Pakistan, Kashmir. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I. I can try and explain that. So, do you want to?